Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. The passage for today comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow as I read. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. As a missionary in Namibia, uh, my day job is working with people of a different culture to myself. Um, uh, Some days it's the most difficult job in the world, and on other days it's the most incredible job in the world. Uh, Most days it's both of these things going on at the same time. This week I was uh, talking to uh, Blessings, who you probably know, uh, in the UK. Uh, He's studying a master's, he's going into the Anglican ministry in the UK. And it's been amazing to see this guy uh, grow and serve the Lord. Of course, here I come to Namibia. Uh, to end up teaching this uh, blessing, this Zimbabwean at Nets, training him for ministry, and then the Lord calls him to go and be a missionary in the country, which I left, to go and teach him in Namibia. And now he is training for ministry in the UK. He called me because he has an opportunity to be trained by uh, an Anglican minister who happens to be one of our main supporting churches. Uh, He has uh, an associate minister who happens to be married to my cousin. (laughs) And this is what happens when you work cross-culturally. 
and God moves you here and there and everywhere. And it's just been amazing to, it was just amazing to talk to Blessing and uh, share his experience. He's actually going to go back and sit down and talk to this guy and let's see what happens. Maybe he'll end up working and being trained uh, in one of our supporting churches. What a story. So for today's text, quite difficult, but uh, let's look at the context to help us interpret it correctly. Uh, remember that any Bible text without a context is a context. Uh, beware of people just quoting verses at you without a context, so we need to look at the background, what's going on, to help us understand the passage. Firstly, the, the first context to look at is the historical context. Excuse me. Paul is writing from prison in Rome, but he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And uh, the background to that church is a very mixed city, uh, Jews and Gentiles. And actually, the, if you're reading through Acts, you'll see the whole background of Jew and Gentile Christian uh, racial and cultural conflict. Uh, you'll remember that as the church grew in Jerusalem, there was a problem over the distribution of food. The, the Gentile widows were being overlooked, and the, the Jewish Christian widows were getting all the food, or most of the food. And the church had to sort that out. It was a problem of the church growing. At the start, of course, the church was a, was a Jewish church. The, the, the Christians were Jewish Christians, and they were one big happy family, but as the gospel spread and as the church grew, more Gentiles became Christians, and the church was uh, full of these racial and cultural tensions between uh, Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian. Uh, even the leaders were caught up in this. Uh, if you want to have a look at Galatians chapter 2, uh, you'll see that Peter and Paul had a falling out, uh, because uh, Peter uh, began to uh, evangelize and work with Gentiles. He would even sit and eat, uh, share food with Gentile Christians. And when a bunch of Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem to see what Peter was doing, he left the Gentile table and went to the Jewish table. And Paul was, was incandescent with anger. He actually confronted Peter in public, in front of the whole church, and uh, told him off. Uh, even Barnabas, the, the leader of the church in Antioch, which was a fantastically uh, multicultural church, even Barnabas was following Peter uh, in withdrawing from the Gentile uh, community. And so this was a really big problem. And even in Ephesus, uh, the church there that Paul had planted, uh, there were issues. If you've got your Bibles, come uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 19, uh, and we'll look uh, at uh, what happened there. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 8 up to 10. This is the, the background of the church in Ephesus. Uh, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for about three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them, the Jews in the synagogue, became obstinate, they refused to believe, and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He left the Jews. Uh, he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily 
in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, uh, a Gentile establishment, the Greeks. Uh, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So that's the background to this letter. Paul was preaching and teaching in Ephesus for two years during his third missionary journey. And the effect of that was that the gospel was preached both to Jews and to Greeks. Uh, this is emphasized further in verse 17, uh, when uh, a Jewish uh, priest was practicing magic uh, and his sons were beaten naked by one of the demons they were trying to cast out. And uh, verse 17 highlights the reaction to this uh, occasion. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And again, it's emphasizing the fact that what, what went on in Ephesus had an impact on both Jewish and Gentile or Greek communities. The, the church in Ephesus was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. So that's the historical context. That's the, the background, that's the structure, that's the character of the church in Ephesus uh, to which Paul is writing this letter. But there's also another context, which is the literary context. What's going on in this particular passage, this particular section of Scripture? Up till now, the first two chapters, Paul has been giving fantastic spiritual teaching, uh, fantastic theology, uh, and then he finishes uh, with uh, the very famous Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, a, a verse that maybe we can quote uh, from memory. And he says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the literary context is Paul changing from theological teaching to the practical outcome of that teaching. And this is characteristic of Paul's letter writing. Uh, he never just gives pure theology and then leaves you hanging. Uh, he gives you great teaching, great spiritual truths, and then he tells you what to do with it, uh, which is uh, fantastic uh, teaching. Uh, by Paul. That's characteristic of his teaching. And maybe we've read that word. We've read Ephesians 2 verse 10. We've memorized it and it's just encouraging to us as individuals uh, to know that as Christians God has pre prepared work, good work, uh, for each one of us to do. Uh, maybe we don't know exactly what God will call us to, but we can know that whatever God wants us to do. He has gone ahead of us. He's gone ahead of us to prepare the stuff and the work that he wants us to do for him and his kingdom and his glory. And we will see that as we then obey God and walk in those ways, we will be able to realize the truth of this verse. And we will say to God, yes, Lord, I've seen it. I've seen how you prepared the work that I was to do for you. You will see this in your own life. But of course, Paul is not just thinking of individual Christians, he's writing to a church here. And so, as Paul is teaching the church, he's now talking about the good works, not just for individual Christians in Ephesus, but the whole church in Ephesus. What, what are the good works that the church should be turning to in Ephesus? 
And in verses 11 to 22, he outlines the good work that they are now to focus on. What's, what's the result of the teaching? What, what things does the church need to put into practice as a result of all this teaching of salvation that he's been giving them to, giving them in these first two chapters? And it's basically to sort out the Jewish-Gentile issue. The, the church, in a sense, is, 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 is a chameleon church. It's divided. There's, there's two groups of people. There's Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And Paul says, what is the good work that you are to do? It's, it's for these two cultures and two communities to come together, to work together and to live together, to become united. And that's the challenge that he's setting before them. So if you've got your Bibles, let's just walk through these verses and see how Paul is going to raise the challenge for this church, this, this multicultural church. What's he going to say to them? So let's pick it through, verse 11. Let's pick through the verses. Uh, Paul begins with the word, therefore. And whenever you read, therefore, in Scripture, you have to ask yourself, what is it, therefore? And it's, it's therefore, it's there because Paul wants the church to work out the truth of what he's been saying. God has good works for them to do, therefore go and do it. And so he's saying, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and call the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Now the, the Jews would have called themselves the, the circumcision, uh, the Jewish uh, circumcision rites, the things that marked them out as, as separate. And Paul reminds them uh, they, were, they were separate from Christ before they heard the gospel. And they were not only separate from Christ, they were separate from the Jews. They were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and they were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Uh, all these things, the covenants of the promise, were for the Jews and not for the Gentiles. And so the Gentiles were without hope and without God in the world because they they had not heard the gospel they hadn't heard the message of salvation and paul is addressing himself this this sort of this multicultural community paul is addressing himself to the gentile christians and he's reminding them in verse 13 but now in christ jesus you who were once far away have now been brought near through the blood of christ and, and for paul it's the blood of Christ, it's the cross, it's the death of Christ on the cross which makes all the world's difference to the Gentiles. The Gentiles who were excluded from the covenants of, that God had made with Jews were now brought in. The, the salvation had reached them and brought them near, those who were far away. And then verse 14, Paul says, He himself, Christ himself, is our peace. Paul, writing as a Jew, a Jewish Christian to these Gentile Christians. He's saying that he is our peace. He brings peace between Jew and Gentile. He's made the two one, the two entirely different groups of people. He's made them one group of people, and he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So there's not only suspicion and maybe a little bit of nervousness between Gentile and Jew, Paul's actually saying there is hostility between Gentile and Jew. There is 
There is hostility between these two communities which the gospel is meant to fix. There is a dividing wall of hostility and Christ in his death on the cross destroys that barrier. And it, it could be, uh, it could be the, the, the moral barrier of hostility, hatred and suspicion and hostility between the two communities. But Paul, as a Jew, could well be remembering the physical barrier of hostility in the, in the temple, which was still in existence at the time of the writing of this letter. There was the, the court of the Gentiles, the, the outer court of the temple. And then there would have been another courtyard from the court of Gentiles to which only Jews could go through. And there would have been doorways from the court of the Gentiles into the Jewish courts. And it was forbidden for Gentiles to cross from one court into the other, to go through those doorways. The, the Romans had actually written little signs over the top of the doorways in Latin and in Greek basically saying to any Gentile, if you go through this door, we're not coming to rescue you. On your own head be it. There was an actual, a physical dividing wall of hostility. Any Gentile who walked through those doors, even the Romans weren't going to get involved in what would happen. And Paul says the death of Christ has destroyed that wall. The, maybe not physically yet, but, but certainly spiritually and and, and, and culturally. Paul said in verse 15, Christ has abolished in his flesh these laws of cultural difference between Jew and Gentile. Why? What was God's purpose? His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, out of the Gentile community and the Jewish community, one community, making peace and in this one body, this, this united body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Think of the, think of, just imagine the, the, the cross in your mind. What does it look like? It has a vertical component and a horizontal component. And what Paul is saying the cross, the cross gives us a, a vision, a, a shape of what God is doing. Both Gentiles and Jews, both of them need to be reconciled to God through the cross. There's a, there's a vertical component from, from humanity to God. There needs to be reconciliation between God and man. Both, both a Gentile and a Jew need to be reconciled to God, that vertical relationship. But then there's a cross piece. And what Paul is saying that as members of the Gentile community and as members of the Jewish community are reconciled to God, at the same time, therefore, they are reconciled to one another, Jew and Gentile, horizontally. As, as, as members of both communities are reconciled to God, they are therefore then reconciled to one another, the horizontal. And of course, the horizontal is supported by the vertical. The, the priority reconciliation is the vertical one. Man to God. People to God. And, and the horizontal reconciliation hangs on that. 
Uh, so we can applaud the Black Lives Matter movement, we can applaud the world's effort for, for reconciliation, uh, for, for, for better community relationships and all these wonderful things that is going on. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is, is fantastic. And, uh, but, but, but ultimately, the Black Lives Matter, where's the success of those, and, and where the success of those movements uh, and efforts in human society, they're all, in a sense, they're all doomed to fail. They, they, won't, they won't achieve anything because the true reconciliation is going to come when the gospel is preached. When men and women are reconciled to God, only then can they really be reconciled to one another. That's the answer. The gospel is the answer to the Black Lives Matter movement, to all, the, to all of humanities and societies and uh, political parties' efforts and government efforts to reconcile communities. It's actually the gospel that will make the difference. When people and people groups are reconciled to God, then they can be reconciled to one another. The gospel is key to reconciliation movements around the world. Paul reminds him in verse 17, he repeats himself, uh, Christ came and preached peace to you who are far away, the Gentiles, and peace, the same message, to those who were near, the Jews, the Jews were nearer than the Gentiles. But it was peace from God to both Gentiles and Jews that Christ came to preach. And Paul says, for through him, through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Both Gentile and Jew have access. You remember uh, from the Gospel when Jesus died and gave up his Spirit, the, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The, the, the curtain that separated the, the holy place in the temple building to the most holy place where only the high priest and only on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, could go in. The Holy of Holies, only one man on one day of the year was allowed to go in. And the, the curtain that cut off access to that room was divided from top to bottom. When Jesus died, he opened the way, he gave access. Not just one man on one day of the year, but all people on every day of the year could now go in, could have access to God himself. And Christ also divided Sorry, Christ also destroyed that dividing wall of hostility between Gentile and Jew. Both barriers were broken down. The barrier between God and man and the barrier between community and community. So what's the consequence of all this for the church in Ephesus? Verse 19, Paul writes to the Gentiles, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but you are fellow citizens with God's people, the Jews, and members of God's household, the Jews, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jewish apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. God is building a new thing. The temple has gone, the church has come, and Christ is the cornerstone of the new building, the church. In him, the whole building is joined together Gentile and Jew, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, you too Gentiles, are being built together, 
together with Jewish Christians, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So could you see what Paul is doing? He is aware of this wonderful message of salvation that he's preached to Ephesus. He's aware of the church that he's been planted in Ephesus, this multicultural church. But he's also aware that the work is not yet done. This, this church needs to work on their unity. There's still a Greek faction, a Gentile faction, and a Jewish faction. And the good work that he wants this church to do is to bring true unity between these two factions. There's still work to do. There's still a long way to go. So how do we put this into practice? What's this passage saying for, for us today as New Song? Paul's message wasn't new. In Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, he wasn't thinking up something new that had never been before mentioned in Scripture. The whole Bible is one of multicultural, cross-cultural ministry. As you read the Old Testament, you quickly realize that God chose the Jews for them to be his missionaries to the Gentile nations. He didn't choose them just to stay in their own little box and be happy in their God zone and let the rest of the world go to rot. He chose them to be his people, his evangelists, his missionaries. And of course, as you read the, as you read the Old Testament, you realize this didn't happen. They failed. You can go and read the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is, is, is there in, in some ways to show us how they failed. Jonah was already a prophet to his own people, the Jews. He was, he was a successful, faithful prophet. God chose Jonah to be a prophet to his people, his own people, and he, he did that. As soon as God said to Jonah, now go and preach to those Gentiles, go to Assyria, go to Nineveh, Jonah didn't want to. He said, I'd rather jump in a big fish, thank you very much. And that's what happened. And as you read the New Testament, as you read what God is doing in the church, you realize this is a multicultural situation. We, we finish with the final book of the, of the Bible, New Testament, Revelation chapter 7. John has a vision of, of an enormous number of people of every tribe, nation, language, and tongue and culture, all worshipping God together. And, and that's the fulfillment, that's the perfection. What, what God planned for the Old Testament comes to perfection in Revelation, in heaven. And, and that's the message of the whole Bible. So when, when Paul is telling this church in Ephesus to, to get on with the work of, of becoming united, of working together, Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians working together, and becoming united and, and, and overcoming their differences. He's following the, the threads of, of teaching in the whole Bible, and he's looking forward to Revelation chapter 7. He wants the church in Ephesus to be a little picture of Revelation 7 before it happens. He says, this is your goal. This is what I want you to be working on. And I think it's the same for us at New Song. As, as we as a church... We read, we read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What are the good works that we are to do in New Song? 
in the remainder of this year going forward. Wonder what it is. Well, Paul gives us a clue. Let's work on our unity, guys. One reason why I and my family love coming to New Song is because it's a real mixture of all kinds of people. We love that. It's fantastic. <laughs> but of course, that brings its own problems and, and tensions, doesn't it? But it's the right place for us to be. That's what God wants. This is, this is the picture of, of the true church, full of all kinds of different people who are, nonetheless, who are united in Christ. In some ways, cross-cultural misunderstanding and cross-cultural tensions and, uh, uh, and maybe even hostilities, maybe they, that can be a good thing. A sign of a good thing. Now, before you switch off, uh, let me explain myself. Yes, Gunning, explain yourself. The, the only church which doesn't have cultural conflict is a church made up of only one culture. But that's not what God wants. That's not what God wants for his church. He doesn't want little monocultural churches having no cultural conflict planted here and there. God's vision for his church is a Revelation 7 type of church. The only way to avoid cross-cultural conflict in the church is to go to a monocultural church, and you and me, we both know there's plenty of those kind of churches in Vintok and in this country. And, and I'm not really interested in those kind of churches. I, I want to be in a multicultural church with all those tensions and hang-ups and, and difficulties and challenges. Because that's what God wants his church to be. He's made us all different. And in Christ he has united us. And, and the unity that Christ's death brings is only highlighted and reinforced when people are different. People see... The, the, a multicultural church, and they see, and yet, and they will say, and yet they are united, and yet they are together. That's, that's the power of the gospel to bring unity amongst a diverse group of people, all kinds of people all working together. So maybe that's what the good works, this is what the good works that the Lord wants New Song to work on next. I remember last year or two years ago, uh, Brian preaching through Acts uh, and just bringing out these new lessons and these new goals and these new thoughts for the church from, from Acts. Uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe this passage is giving us something new to think about, some, some goal to reach. How are we doing at New Song? How are we doing at multicultural unity? I think we've still got some way to go. And maybe God is challenging us to put that at the top of our agenda. This is the next thing for New Song to be working at. So some practical thoughts on, on going forward. Unity does not mean sameness. When Paul wants the church in Ephesus to be united, when, when gunning has a vision for a more united new song? The answer isn't sameness. God does not want us to be united because we're all the same. He wants us to be united 
in spite of our differences. <laughs> the, the unity that different people groups can have in a church is not by making them blancmange and making them all the same, mixing them all together so that we're all the same. The unity comes from being united to Christ. That's the core of our unity. You stay African, I stay Western, but we are still united in Christ. Unity doesn't mean we all become the same. We, we don't lose our identities. There's a real proper African Christianity, there's a real proper European Christianity. <laughs> uh, we, one doesn't have to become the other. It's not sameness that brings unity, it's Christ that brings unity. Many of the early missionaries to Africa made this mistake. They, when they brought the gospel, they brought Western culture as well. And it was as if uh, for an African to become a Christian, he had to become a little European as well. And this sort of teaching and this, this idea continues through to today. One of the churches I worked in, uh, in Vintuk, uh, a young lady had become a Christian and she went back to the village to tell her grandfather that she had now become a Christian. And his reaction was, to the news was, why do you want to become European? What's wrong with being African? And you could see, maybe he heard, maybe he heard some of these missionaries preach. And, and in his mind, for an African to become a Christian means to become European and to lose an African identity. And of course he was wrong, but maybe that was, maybe that was the gospel message that he'd heard. God forbid that any missionary is preached in that way today. There is a, there's a true, genuine African Christianity that doesn't have to be a copy of European Christianity. So unity does not mean sameness. And unity does not mean losing our identity of who we are uh, as, as the people whom God has made us. You can be as different from me as you want to be, but we are still united in Christ. Practically, it is always easier to network and mingle with people of our own culture. When uh, Rico hits the final chord and says amen at the final prayer and says, let's go to coffee, it's so easy to split up into our little, little groups, little Blumongi identity, identity groups. It's always easier, and, and that's just a fact. It is always easier to, to talk and network with people who look, look just like us and speak the same language that we do. That's just a human fact. But let's rise to the challenge. When we actually can get back together again and we can go for coffee, maybe one or two of us will remember this message and just, just leave our little group alone and go to that other group over there who look different and speak different. <laughs> Anybody out there going to rise to that challenge? Break, break the mold. Cross the barrier. Maybe you're the kind of person who you like to read. You like to get some, your hands on some resources that will help you do this. You wanna, you wanna get some uh, some reading material that will help you uh, make this uh, 
make this, cross this barrier. Uh, there's a, a wonderful Christian teacher at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in the US. His name is Dwayne Elmer. Um, and he's written a whole series of books on cross-cultural communication and cross-cultural conflict. Uh, you, I'm sure you can get them here in Namibia. Um, these are fantastic books uh, on helping Christians uh, cross the cultural barriers. Uh, and I highly recommend them to you if you're interested in reading and getting information about how to do this. Give, give you some real practical step, steps on, on, on crossing cultural barriers and overcoming uh, misunderstandings. Get into Dwayne Elmer's books. A uh, fantastic guy. Finally, get to know bridge people. Bridge people are a bit strange. Um, they've got one foot on one bank of the river and one foot on the other bank of the river. You know, there's a European side to the river and there's, a, there's an African side to the river. And bridge people are these kind of people who've got a foot in both worlds. And there's not many of them because it's a kind of uncomfortable place to be because you get shot at by both sides of the river because you're not one thing or the other. Hopefully you're not paranoid schizophrenic, but you're, you're living in this middle world where you're half one thing and half the other, but you're a bridge person. There's not many of them around. But I bet there's some of them at New Song. And if you need help in crossing over those barriers, you need to find out some of those bridge people. Go and talk to them. Pick their brains. Find out what it's like for them. Ask them how do they do it. I don't think I have to name names. You, you know who they are. And they are different colours and different languages. Bridge people are not just one from one community. They are, they are from both sides. There'll be African bridge people and there'll be Western bridge people, you know? Hmm. And, and go and talk to both kinds of bridge people. <laughs> if you're really serious about building cross-cultural understanding at NETS, NETS, did I say NETS? Yes, NETS too, and the new song. <laughs> Use the bridge people who are there. They, they are the experts. They, they're, they're the people who are living in both worlds. They, the bridge people can explain each side to people of the other side. And they are, they are crucial and they are key people. If you don't know who they are, pray about it. Talk to people. Network. Find out. Talk to your church leadership. Say, I need to talk to some of these people. Get practical. Do something. <laughs> So I think this is what the Lord is wanting to say to us through this passage today. Yes, there are good works for each one of us to do, and there are good works for our new song church to do. And maybe the Lord is setting before us as a church this goal of better cross-cultural understanding and networking and harmony. To, to break down the, these barriers. Barriers, maybe not just of misunderstanding and confusion, but maybe there's barriers of hostility that need to get broken down as well. But the, these are the barriers that Christ has come to destroy. These are the barriers that Christ has destroyed. 
in his death on the cross. And maybe he's wanting new song to be working on these areas. Let's go to the next level. However good our cross-cultural relationships are at new song, let's go to the next level. Let's make them better and let new song be known as the united multicultural church. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you'll join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.